On this episode of Mike Draft Dallas, we're talking Texas Rangers baseball with two legends, Rangers Hall of Fame Communications Chief John Blake and the award-winning Dallas Morning News beat writer Evan Grant. It's season four, episode two, so let's drop the mic and let's go. Welcome to Mike Drop Dallas, everybody, the official podcast of the Dallas Sports Commission. Kevin Sullivan here, along with Dallas Sports Commission Executive Director Monica Paul and our on-air producer, Next Level, Marcus Carr. Before we talk Rangers, Monica, what else is happening at the Dallas Sports Commission? What are you bringing to town? Well, big focus uh, happening around pickleball. You can't imagine the excitement that uh, that is taking place here. Even though the event isn't until November, uh, a lot of people saying they're coming to town, they're participating. Um, more pickleball courts are going up around the DFW area, so that's exciting. Uh, obviously, Texas OU approaching State Fair Classic here at Fair Park and Cotton Bowl Stadium. Uh, and actually, we're working on a lot of NCAA bids. Uh, they're, they're basketball regionals, first and second round, frozen four, possibly volleyball championships. So doing a lot of evaluation, working with some of our host institutions and conferences here to see uh, what it is we could bid for for 26 through 2031, I believe. And as you go after these new events, I'm sure the fact that the Sports Business Journal proclaimed Dallas uh, fairly recently as the number one city in America for sports business. That's got to help, right? That definitely helps. But I just learned recently, Sully, that they're going to put out new rankings uh, here this spring uh, in March. So we've got some work to do to ensure that we uh, retain our number one ranking. Well, I, I have no doubt that you that you that you will. Uh, kind of a mic drop moment, a big one for our WNBA Dallas Wings sweeping the Atlanta Dream in the first round of the playoffs, advancing to the semifinals against the defending champion juggernaut Las Vegas Aces, led by reigning WNBA MVP uh, Asia Wilson, who I know you remember from being the most outstanding player in the 2017 Women's NCAA Final Four, which of course was held uh, at uh, American Airlines Center. Uh, back in 2017 with heavy involvement from you and your team at the Dallas Sports Commission. I, I got to say, I went to the regular season finale against Seattle. It was three generations of uh, Sully's in attendance. It was my first WNBA game ever. I was blown away by the fan experience, how loud it was, how cool it was, uh, everything. The, on the court, off the court, it was a great experience uh, for our, our family. They really have it humming there and really across the WNBA right now. I had that same experience. I've, I've been to two, three different games today. Uh, I've obviously gone previous years, but the the experience, the energy in there, what the fans bring, the following, and obviously the product on the court is uh, has improved, but uh, very excited to see the, the transition of this Wings organization um, and happy that the fans have made it out to College Park there at uh, UTA in Arlington to to really support and big names in the crowd last night with Dirk and uh, Jason Kidd and others from the Dallas Mavericks organization really supporting those uh, female athletes and and the Wings program. Yeah, the Mavericks actually now have a jersey sponsorship for Gems Girls Empowered by Mavericks. 
uh, which is cool. And we saw some of the new players, Derek Lively and Omax, and a veteran like Tim Hardaway Jr. out there showing his support. So if the if Wings can swipe one in Vegas, Game Three would be would be on September 29th in Arlington. So circle that date on your calendar. One more mic drop moment. We got to talk a little Cowboys. Big win. Of course, they've started the season two and all, winning by a margin of 70 to 10. Uh, but the game last weekend against the Jets, a 30 to 10 win, was attended by some special dignitaries from your world. Yes, uh, we had a great visit, a little surprise visit from Johnny Infantino with uh, FIFA, the president of FIFA, joined by our Texas Governor Abbott uh, in the suite with uh, Jerry Jones and his family. First experience there for the FIFA president, as well as some other FIFA executives and the, the president of CONCACAF were in attendance. First Cowboys game, uh, we put on a show. Uh, a good win is always uh, a positive, but just uh, uh, the previous week, they were at MetLife taking on experiencing that facility, what that city has to offer, and then here this past weekend, all in preparation for what will hopefully be an, a positive announcement for us later in the fall of hosting the final for the for the World Cup. So a big day. Um, and hopefully I haven't heard, but I am hoping that he enjoyed his experience there and everything that AT&T has to offer. How, how could he not? The Cowboys win in the suite with uh, Jerry Jones and company taking in the majesty of uh, AT&T Stadium. I'm sure it went well. All right. Lots of good stuff happening. Uh, back in a moment with John Blake to talk about the Rangers. But first, over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. Get ready, sports fans. This fall is stacked with events right here in the Big D. From food sport to football, the number one sports business city has something for everyone. Head to DallasSports.org to sign up for access to exclusive ticket announcements, discounts, and pre-sales to be part of the next big win. Really treat uh, for, for Monica and I to have John Blake on the mic drop. I've known John, I believe, since 1984, so when he came over from the Orioles to become the Rangers PR director. He has spent 45 years in baseball, including a World Series winning stint with the Red Sox, but decades with the Texas Rangers. John has seen it all. John, welcome to Mike Drop Dallas. Thanks for giving us some time. Really happy to be here. So, John, before we get to Rangers playoff push, uh, which is a big talk of the town, too, uh, I want to hear kind of what are the updates on Major League Baseball All-Star Game uh, and the activities that may be going on next July for all of our, our fans and residents to uh, drum up some excitement for, for that event and what they might expect. Well, Monica, we're really excited about what we have, uh, the opportunity we have here next July, not just for Arlington, but for the entire Metro, for the DFW Metroplex. Uh, MLB was actually here last week uh, for three days of kind of site surveys and everything. One of the big things they've got to nail down here right away is the uh, is the, what they call now the Playball Park, which for those of us who have been around a long time was All-Star Fan Fest. And in 1995, that was in Dallas at the convention center. Well, as you know, there are some Stip, there are some issues with rooms and convention center space that week in July. So the, the whole event for Play Ballpark is going to be out here. Well, we've got to figure out how we're going to 
construct that, lay it out. And Choctaw Stadium is a very intriguing piece of that whole thing. Um, as you all know, we've been able to have a lot of success in reconfiguring uh, the old stadium, which was a big topic at the uh, when the elect for the election for the bonds in 2016, how that park was going to be utilized going forward. And now it's a site for high school football, the XFL, Major League Rugby, and a lot of development is going in there. There's a new Starbucks that we opened up in there uh, earlier this month. So a lot of so that ballpark really kind of lends itself to that because there's a lot of history at that and and how cool would it be to have a kind of an all-star fan fest play ball in a in a ballpark with that much history but there's a lot of activities that uh, we're working on both in Arlington and then we're exploring you know what we can do in Dallas um obviously our with our youth academy in West Dallas that will be totally activated for the uh, for the All-Star Week with the uh, Commissioner's Cup and Jenny Finch Classic, the the youth events. And uh, Mayor Johnson was was down there about yeah. two or three weeks ago, got to tour the facility with our ownership. I, I think he was very impressed. Yeah. And I hope that we were, you know, I think that will lead to more discussions to what we can do in Dallas for the All-Star game. But, you know, from our perspective, and I'll just put, you know, 1995, there wasn't else, a lot else out here except the ballpark. We had to really do all the activations in Dallas and Fort Worth. And now we can have a, a lot more with the new hotels and the other development out here. We can really have an a, a event that celebrates baseball that's primarily based in Arlington. But again, we, we will utilize the whole it's, – it's a great opportunity for the whole area. And uh, we're really excited about it. Oh, absolutely. I uh, I think everyone is uh, excited about it. I get a lot of questions out there. So I think you'll have great fan attendance uh, and, and and plenty of uh, people coming out to your ancillary events. But you mentioned some uh, key key things there in that the, the I guess, repurposing, uh, I may say, for Choctaw Stadium, the development of Texas Live, the new convention center out there. And this season, I believe, is the fourth season of Globe Life. Uh, field third with fans in attendance um, how big of a difference has that ballpark made for the Rangers and I guess the overall development out there as well well I mean for somebody that's been here a long time and seen what's happened out here the last six or seven years it's staggering because this is something that Rangers ownership has wanted to do forever when we built the ballpark in Arlington in 1994, the, the ownership group, you know, led by president Bush and, and Tom Schieffer, that was kind of their goal. That's why they built the lake and everything else. Well, circumstances, the 1994 baseball strike, everything kind of prevented it. Then Tom Hicks buys the team, you know, in 1998 and he had glory park on his, on his plate, which was going to be that big kind of development that was going to be built in conjunction with AT&T Stadium. Well, you know, Tom had financial difficulties and had to sell the team. So, so this ownership group led by, you know, by Ray Davis and Neil Liebman, they had a real vision in terms of development and in, and in partnering with first the Cordish companies and with Lowe's and, and those kind of entities, they've been able to really create this enter sports and entertainment district, which I, I think is good for the entire Metroplex. Hotels are obviously a big factor in this. And when that new Lowe's hotel opens uh, in early 2024, there's going to be 1,200 hotel rooms within the vicinity of this ballpark, 
which allows us to do so much else, especially the all-star game where you can put the all-stars, you know, across the street from the ballpark. There's a red carpet parade as part of that. And it's going to be so easy, especially if it's 105 degrees to do an outside red carpet where you can just take them from the hotel to the ballpark. And with Texas Live and, and the other development that's going on with restaurants and everything, it's created a real a real district. And, uh, you know, the, the obviously Globe Life Field's a big part of that. And as you know, you've been involved in a lot of the uh, events that we've done here. It's, it's a year-round sports and entertainment venue. And it's astonishing to me. I'll be honest about it. I mean, having been here a long time and seeing the way these developments, the development was took so long to get there uh, to where we are today and, and, and the things that are still coming. It, it's pretty amazing. Well, and the, I have to say the amenities too, that the, that are offered there at the ballpark, the ease of uh, getting around. I had the opportunity to attend one of my first Rangers games. It's been two or three months ago now, but um, you know, I was, I was kind of blown away. I, I kind of actually went as a fan that day. Normally I may be working with clients in a suite and this sort of thing. And just to sit back as a fan, it was, it was pretty special. So um excited about that. And I think the Globe Life Field has really opened up the ability to attract other types of events. I'll be I'll be back at Globe Life Field for the Pink concert coming up. Uh, coming up. other, you know, you've hosted, I mean, we've well, Big 12 baseball, but there's been wrestling, you know, NFR. So really that new ballpark has uh opened up, I think, a lot of other opportunities. And when you pair it with the entertainment district, uh, I think it's definitely a win-win. Yeah, and from a baseball perspective, we know when we're going to play. That That's yeah. the big thing for me. I'm saving hours out of my life, not sitting through rain delays and things like that that we had to deal with across the street. And plus the heat. I mean, yeah. you know, this would have been a very challenging year without a roof. But people really do enjoy coming here. They stay longer now. You know, their kids don't get hot in the third inning and they have to leave. And that's a big difference. But the, the, the other thing that you mentioned, which is a great point, is just the having having a field with 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 artificial turf and synthetic turf. You know, the turnaround is, is unbelievable in what we can do for these events. We've got concerts scheduled on Friday and Saturday, you know, the 29th and 30th. It doesn't look like we're going to open at home you know, with the way this is going. But if we had to have a, a workout before game one of the wild card series on Monday, they can turn this thing around on a dime. It, it's incredible, you know, how you can have events and then just the turnaround time between changing it up back to a baseball configuration or, or anything. It's, it's amazing. And Rev Entertainment has done a great job in creating this model and it's not just the big events. It's every day we've got, you know, meetings and we've got groups out here and all those kinds of things. And it's really a great utilization of the space. And obviously being inside with 1.8 million square feet is a real blessing. Not to mention you know, the air conditioning. Yeah. <laughs> so I think he just did my uh, FIFA World Cup final pitch. Um, you know, same holds true for AT&T Stadium and, and Globe Life Field with a roof and air conditioning in the summer. Heat is not a problem here. Um, so, John, we're down to, I believe, the last 10 games of the season. Uh, Rangers return to the playoffs, maybe hinged on every pitch. 
uh, or every at, at bat here. Uh, are you stressed out during the games? Uh, how personally do do you take this? The older, as I've gotten a little older, I try not. To, I I was as people who know me as young, I took these things really hard. I would throw microphones in the press box and things like that. I I took every lot. I'm trying as 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 my age tends to go up. My, I'm trying to keep my stress level down, but I will say that if, and I tell this to people all the time, that if you told me that on September 20th, we would be within a half a game of first place in the American League West, if you told us that back on April 1st, I think everybody out here would be doing cartwheels. It's just kind of the way we've gotten to this point, you know, with the lead and then it coming down and then the roller coaster and everything but but it's it's fun it's fun it's been you know the last time we were in the playoffs the last time we had a winning record was 2016 it's been a long time and a lot of septembers where we're just sitting here waiting for this ordeal to end so it's fun for me every day to come to the ballpark and, and look at see what houston did or seattle did and for us it's going to come it's going to come right down to the end we play the mariners seven of our last 10 games starting friday night three here and then the last four in Seattle next weekend. And that's going to determine our fate. And if we play well, we're going to be in it. If not, but, and there are just so many scenarios right now, but, but to me, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it, this is what we play for. And there's so many people in this organization that have never experienced this. That's what, you know, they've worked here for, you've worked here for less than seven years you know, you've never worked for a winning team, and, and it does make a difference when you come to work every day. One of the uh, driving forces of the resurgence this year has been second-year GM Chris Young. He's taken a pretty bold approach, obviously. The ownership group opened up the, the wallet for him. You've worked with lots of GMs in your decorated career. I gave you sort of short shrift in the intro. You're a Hall of Fame Remember the Rangers Hall of Fame, you are truly at the top of your profession, one of the all-time greats who's ever done it. And I can say that having the opportunity to work with a lot of teams the last 15 years almost uh, as a consultant, you've seen a lot of GMs. You've seen them come and go. You've seen about everything there is to see. How do you describe CY's style and sort of what he's been able to do here in a relatively short amount of time? Well, it's it's kind of interesting because, you know, John Daniels brings him in in December you know, of 2021, and it's kind of a two-year apprenticeship working under J.D., knowing that we were going to get to this point. It's different when, you, when, you, when you're doing it when you are the guy, when, when the buck stops here like it's been in this year. But, but the thing about, about CY is he has a plan. He is very committed. And when he wants, you know, when he knows what he wants to do, he goes out and tries to do it. The fact that he's a former player, uh, I, I think, brings a lot to the table uh, in terms of knowing how the game works, knowing what it is down on the field, you know, that kind of, you know, dynamic. The fact that he was a starting pitcher is an interesting, it's interesting because I, I compare it to Nolan Ryan a little bit when, when Nolan you know, ran the Rangers and everything. Starting pitchers are the one player on a baseball field that if they really do their job, they can control the game. I mean, if you go out as a starting pitcher and and you and you dominate, you know, you know, nine times out of 10, you're going to win. 
it's harder to do that as an executive, you know, to, to have that mentality that there's just so much else that goes into it. And both him and Nolan were just very intense when they watch the games. It is a, it's just a different dynamic on the way they watch it. And it's intensity that, that I think has is, is been a great thing for us. And, you know, and CY has, a, has had a great relationship with ownership. And we gotta, you got to give Ray Davis credit here. He went out and made the commitments that, that we really needed to, to improve the last two years. It started with you know, Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon and John Gray last winter and then continued this winter. And then Chris being able to go out and convince Bruce Bochy to come back to, to manage again was a huge factor in all of this. Uh, you know, Boch has brought a, you know, that level. He, he's been through it all. He's kind of like me on the PR side, you know, on the, he, you, you go, you've been through it all. You've had all these experiences and in a roller coaster season like this, you know, he's kind of the calming presence. You guys see him on TV. Last night, he kind of he kind of blew a gasket and got last thrown night, out of the yeah, game. He this lid last night, but, but, but I think deservedly but, but for the so. most part, you know, he's been very, very smooth. And, and you know, it's very consistent. And, and it, to me, it's a great message. And that's all a credit to CY. And I'll make one other thing, because say one other thing because of the DeGrom stuff. Everybody says, well, DeGrom got hurt and everything. If we didn't sign Jacob DeGrom last year in December, that set the tone for everything else we did. We don't sign Nathan Evaldi. We don't sign Andrew Haney. We don't come into spring training kind of with that excitement. And DeGrom will be back and everything. And But that that really did set the tone. What do you think? Well, I'm not going to ask you to make a prediction on how the season's going to finish. Obviously, a lot of consequential games down the stretch here are going to decide uh, what you know the, whether the Rangers make the playoffs for the first time since 2016 or not. But what gives the Rangers the best chance to do well in this final stretch of these big games? Well, I, I think it starts with the manager. I, I think we, we've got a, a manager that's been through the, the time. He's been through one three World Series and has been in a lot of other pennant races. We've got veteran players. We've got a lot of guys that have postseason experience that hopefully can work with the younger players like Josh Young, Adolis Garcia, Nate Lowe, guys that really haven't been through a pennant race. And you know, we've got a talented lineup and, and we've got good starting pitching bullpen, you know, roll this Chapman stepped up, you know, last night pitched two innings and, and got us over the top. That has to be consistent, but I, you know, it's hard to win in baseball. It really is. You, you've got to get some breaks. You know, everything went pretty well for the Rangers. The first two and a half, three months of the season, the offense was clicking, but, but like I said, I, I'm, I'm real optimistic. And I do think it starts with kind of that tone in the clubhouse where the manager and veteran players just have to, you know, tell these guys, Hey, it's just another game. You know, I know the stakes are higher and everything, but you know, we do this 162 times a year. It's a, it's a marathon and uh, yes, it comes down to the end, but you really can't change your approach. I hate to ask you to pick one, but do you have a favorite story from your 45 years in baseball? Well, I, you know, I mean, I, I think, you know, for me, it's, you know, I've worked, I've worked, I, I went to Georgetown and then worked at Georgetown. I got a, a NCAA championship watch when they were one in 84. I got a world, the Orioles won in 83. I got a ring there. 
the Red Sox won the World Series in 2007. And then I came back here when Nolan Ryan, you know, became the president of the team in 2008. He asked me to come back. And I'm from New England. I mean, I grew up in Massachusetts. You can tell I do not have a Texas accent. But my kids grew up here in the 20 plus years we lived here, you know, the first time. And it really did feel like coming home to me in the fall of 2008. And, you know, I love Boston. I was a Red Sox fan growing up. But coming back here to the Metroplex, you know, the last 15 years, you know, has been a real blessing for me personally and professionally. And the last the cherry on top of this would be for the Rangers to win the World Series at some point. So I can, you know, sit back and, and kind of watch the development and everything go on here as it happens. But that's probably, you know, I, I've been blessed. I've worked with a lot of great people from Earl Weaver, who was my first manager in ball. And, and I'm going to wear, I'm working with a Hall of Fame manager again here at the end in Bruce Bochy. So it, it's just been a lot of fun. But I would really love to see it end here with a parade uh, for the Rangers winning the World Series. Well, we hope that happens too. It's great to see your energy and enthusiasm and how much you care and how much you know how passionate you are and all that you put into it even after 45 years before i hand it back to monica uh, schedule permitting you spend a lot of saturday afternoons as a docent at the george w bush presidential museum and i know you love that too tell us why that is meaningful to you or why you enjoy it so much well, there's a couple of reasons. One, you know, I, I I love presidential history. I mean, I went to Georgetown. I was in the School of Foreign Service. I mean, that was my goal was to work in the foreign service and in government. I kind of got a different path very quickly once I got to college. But that's part of it. But secondly, you know, the president, President Bush was my boss back in, in the in the in the late 80s, early 90s. You know, they bought the club in March of 1989. And uh you know, I got to have a really good relationship with him. It was it was strange because I would have to call him when he was visiting his father at the White House. You know, he would I would have to call him and and that kind of thing and through at the White House to try to get him, you know, on interview requests and and things that were going on. So I I really was I was really blessed to develop that relationship with him. And you know, I got to see him from time to time over the years. And when he was elected president, it was. You know, this is amazing, you know, and it's the same person. And when the and I've been doing this since the library opened in 2013, and I just enjoy working there. I, I really enjoy the customer service, and it's it's good for me. I love to give tours. You know, I give tours of the ballpark out here as well. And it's just fun to to educate people about the president's administration and 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 everything like that. And it's it's a it's a great opportunity and uh you know, it's just, and again, it's kind of a, my hobby. So, and as you get older, you need hobbies because you can't go to baseball games forever. So John, before we let you go, I have to ask you, you mentioned some of your, your college experience. Why well, I also teach a class at SMU every fall, a uh, very intro class, contemporary issues in sport management. And I always ask them, you know, what they want to be when they grow up and they have high lofty goals and maybe some of them will attain them, but We've got a lot of GMs and commissioners uh, uh, in the class, but I do have some that want to get into the media broadcast uh, side of things, PR side of things, marketing. Um, what advice would you give young people today trying to get into the to the sports world? 
for me, Monica, it's all about practical experience. It's all about experience, uh, practical experience, that kind of thing. Um, you know, and I and I use baseball as an example on this. It, it's it's a lot of hours. It's nights. It's weekends. And I just when I when I counsel young people on this, you know, I just say, look, volunteer. I mean, you may not get a paid internship to start, but go out, experience it. The minor leagues are a great place. You know, we hire interns. You know, you've got to start at the, at the bottom to kind of experience what you want to do. And and I've had people, you know, I'm sure you guys, have, you have too, where, you know, they come into this environment and they say, hey, this is not for me. I want my weekends and nights free and, and that kind of thing. But you've got to learn that early on. And uh, I've hired, you know, for me, the best people I've probably hired over the years have been interns for me because they've, they've kind of worked their way up through the organization and uh, they're loyal and it's like everything else these days. And the other thing that, you know, writing for me is a huge piece. I mean, you gotta, you got, you still gotta write, you know, whatever it is, you gotta be able to write. And then a piece that I never had to deal with 15 years ago is social media skills. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm looking for people that can, that can get through that space and, and know how to do it because I believe me, I am not, that is one thing that I will probably never be an expert on. And so those are kind of the skills, but to me, it's getting that practical experience, you know, at a young age and really find out what you want to do. Well, I think you and I have many similarities. Social media is not my strong suit. So definitely yeah. have to rely on some experts uh, there, but uh, John, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Mike drop Dallas. Uh, we'll definitely be cheering along uh, those Rangers uh, and hope to see them in the playoffs. And then, Obviously, anything you need from us uh, from a Major League Baseball All-Star game, just uh, here to help. Well, thank you. I really appreciate it, guys. Have a good day. Thank you. Thanks, John. Now, over to Rachel from a word for, with, with a word from one of our sponsors. Get ready, sports fans. This fall is stacked with events right here in the Big D. From food sport to football, the number one sports business city has something for everyone. Head to DallasSports.org to sign up for access to exclusive ticket announcements, discounts, and pre-sales to be part of the next big win. Thanks, Rachel. And now we're pleased to welcome to Mike Drop Dallas for his first appearance. I'm not sure what took us so long. The great Evan Grant, the award-winning Evan Grant, Dallas Morning News beat writer for the Texas Rangers since 1997. I don't, I'm not sure that's possible. It might be a typo, Evan, but what I read was 1997. He is one of the best in the country at what he does, covering Major League Baseball. We're fortunate here in Dallas to have Evan on the beat, where in so many markets, the local media has become diminished and fans don't get the kind of information and service that Evan provides through his coverage of the Rangers. So we're glad you're here, Evan. By the way, Evan, you are the 250th guest on Mike Drop Dallas since we started in February of 2021. Uh, you're going to get a certificate, I'm sure, from the Dallas Sports Commission and Tony Faye PR or something, uh, or maybe maybe a coupon for some barbecue, which I know is, is, is another one of your loves. Uh, as we get started here, though, I want to start with your devotion to the Georgia Bulldogs. We had, you know, Monica is a Texas Longhorn, and... The one thing, you know, Monica has already taken down Alabama. Georgia doesn't have Alabama, of course, on the regular season SEC schedule this year. But 
Betsy Dixon of Tony Fay PR, of course, is a big Alabama fan, even though she went to SMU. Uh, kind of like Tony Fay being a Notre Dame fan, even though he went to North Texas, or maybe you being a Georgia fan, even though you're a Georgia State Panther at heart. But Monica, I want to just give Monica and you a chance to talk a little college football and maybe maybe throw a few elbows at uh, at Alabama. Oh, Evan, were you a little nervous this past weekend with uh, with your Bulldogs at all? And you know, I'm actually. I'll say it. Texas is back, and uh, you know possibilities. We may see some, one another at the at the end of the season. I know many games to be played, but uh, uh, it sure was nice to be the Alabama. Well, I, my daughter's a Longhorn, so um, we are looking forward to trying to go to the Texas UT game next year. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Um, the last time we met in the Sugar Bowl, it didn't go so well for my Bulldogs, but. Things have changed a little bit. I uh, I was a little nervous against South Carolina, but I've, I've kind of struggled a little bit to try and um, ex understand exactly where I want to be as a fan right now because I could never envision in my life that they'd have back-to-back -back national championships, and it's hard to get too disappointed. Um, I, I, I know that at some point in time they're going to lose and they're not going to win another national championship, and... Um, uh, I'm steeled for that, but I'm just still kind of riding that cloud of uh, of something I never dreamed that would happen. Um, I thought it was really interesting the other day after Texas beat Alabama that um, the students were all in the fountain yelling that they want Georgia. So I guess that really does mean we are on the top of the heap when when your when your students are chanting, "We want the University of Georgia." Yeah, I think they, they've set their, their bar high, but I just hope that we don't forget what happens in the middle uh, and, and stumble uh, along the way. You know, you better savor that national championship because I can tell you it's been a, it's been a bit a uh, minute since Texas has had one or even close uh, to be able to compete for one. So uh, I'm, I'm very excited about this season. So, but wanted to, you know, just uh, do a few, give uh, Betsy a few jabs uh, gave they me. look great against Alabama. I thought Texas looked great against Alabama. Um, and I, you know, I've heard some stuff. I didn't watch the Wyoming game this weekend. I've heard some some folks grumble a little bit that they weren't as sharp against Wyoming. Um, listen, I think it's impossible to to really gauge these teams in in the. And I don't want to I don't want to diminish Wyoming at all, but it's not a conference game at this point in time, and it's not a real high profile opponent. And I do think it's a little bit hard to to really gauge these teams in the in that environment. Um, Georgia looked a little bit rough in its first SEC game. It had to it had to rally a little bit, but I think it needed that kind of punch in the gut after playing uh, Ball State and Tennessee Martin. And I I think that it's going to be an interesting college football season. Um, and we still we've managed to do all this and we still haven't talked about the biggest story in college football right now, which is Deion Sanders. Um, and it's it's I think it's been good for college football. I think it's been good for the University of Colorado for for Dion to be there and uh, to add another dimension to what what the sport. This I, I think where the sport is right now, I think Dion is really good for is the perfect fit for Colorado. All right. Well, with a final prediction from me that Alabama will take down Ole Miss this weekend. Now, let's get to the Rangers. And we're going to put you on the spot right from the jump, uh, Evan. 
Will, and we've done this to Brad Townsend on the Mavericks. So this is, you know, this is, you're getting, you know, the same treatment. Will the Texas Rangers make the postseason? Ah, uh, well, I'm going to qualify it. They've got a best of seven. I mean, for me, the playoffs start on Friday. They've got a best of seven with Seattle. Um, as we were doing this, Tony, I was, uh, Kevin, I was just in the middle of updating a tiebreaker story that I had written about a month ago that seemed a little bit early then, but we've got a great race in the American League West. And there's all kinds of scenarios that could still play out. Seattle has three games against Houston at the start of next week. The Rangers have seven games with Seattle in the final 10 days. And it really, for where this team wanted to be going into the season, when I talked to Chris Young at the start of the season, his goal then was to say, I want to be playing meaningful games at the end of September. And they are. They will do that. That's a goal that is accomplished. But I think if you also talk to Chris Young right now, he would say, that's no longer my goal. You know, when you're this close, you can taste it. You can feel it. And I I, I think the win over, over Boston on Tuesday night, where they got some contributions again from Adolis Garcia and Josh Young, were, were, were a big moment for this team. This team has all the components to be able to go deep in the playoffs. I know that the bullpen has been something of an issue all year, but if you take different parts of that bullpen, they've been hot at different times. And all it takes is for the bullpen to work in harmony for one month. And you've got, you've got a world series contender. Uh, I'm going to say, if you put, if if you put the pointer at my head, I'm going to say, yeah, they're going to make the playoffs. This is what Bruce Bochy was hired for to win a seven game series. Um, They've got, the best right now they've got the best player who's still playing in the American league in Corey Seager. Um, They've got an experienced middle infield. I am going to say that the Rangers will find a way to win one of those playoff spots. Now I can't tell you if they're going to win the division or if it's going to be a wild card bid. And I can't tell you how, how deep they're going to go, but I, I, I would say right now, I'm still convinced that the Rangers are going to find a way to to navigate themselves into the playoffs. What have you, you know, in all your years covering baseball, this was really uh, a, an unusual season in that the, the 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 kind of you had the first half of the season where they were so dominant. Now we had some injuries come into play, some some players. Jonah Heim was hurt, Seager was hurt, Young was out, Garcia was out for a bit. Uh, but what what do you think? I mean, is it as simple as saying the bullpen struggled and there were some injuries that led to the the roller coaster ride that John Blake described in our first segment? Um, yeah, I never want to be uh, I never want to be giving John Blake a whole bunch of credence, but <laughs> um, I I think really if you're boiling it down, yeah, I, the, the bullpen was the one area the Rangers didn't spend a lot of time or money in the offseason. And from the start of spring training on, it looked like this was going to be the question mark about this team. Um, and, and it has been. Uh, and then if you look at the, the number of injuries that this team has incurred, particularly in the second half, um, on Tuesday night against Boston, they had all six of their, they had six all-stars and they had all six all-stars on the, on the field together for the first time since July 18th. Uh, They played the entire second half without their team together. So add in the fact that they've also gone through five 
Cy Young Awards between the injuries of Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer. Um, and and it, it's hard to overcome. I think that they've done a, a remarkable job of just kind of, of trying to stay together in all of this and, and not letting the division get away from them. And look, Houston seems to be a little bit worn down. Seattle seems to have peaked a little bit maybe early with their 25-6 and six run in, in August. If the Rangers, would I have said to people around the club over the last couple of weeks is, hey, if you get Young and you get Garcia back and you finally get your full team back on the field and get their timing ready for those for that final 10-day stretch, you're going to be in pretty good shape and you're going to have a fairly fresh team heading into the playoffs. So um, that's the best explanation for me on where, on where they came up short. I think we can get into some inside baseball stuff. This team's had a little bit of a struggle uh, hitting fastballs, which is a bit surprising. Um, but I think the biggest factors have been the enormous number of injuries they've suffered and the fact that the bullpen, which was which was going into the season as kind of a weakness, has not really developed uh, on a farm level. You know, guys who would have stepped, who could have stepped up and been factors in that bullpen either got hurt or took a step backwards. And that's that's really hurt them. You mentioned Seeger, you know, he was having an MVP kind of year. Young was sort of the, the assumed he was going to be the rookie of the year when he started the all-star game as a rookie. Had the, did those guys miss too much time? You're a guy with a ballot. Did they miss too much time to still be in contention for those major uh, postseason awards? The Seeger thing is really interesting. Um you know, I, I wrote a column last week after the Toronto series basically saying, does he have a case now for, for MVP? And, of course, I guess I jinxed him because uh, he then went one for 18 before it hit last night. Um, he's the best position player in baseball. The question – and he's having – historically, if you want to look at numbers like OPS and, and, and OPS+, plus, he's having a historically great season for a shortstop offensively. But if you're going to make the case for history, it's going to be hard to argue against a guy who hit 44 home runs and struck out over 100 batters on the mound. Um, the twist in all this is that Otani has not played yeah. since September 3rd. Um, and he hasn't pitched since August 23rd. So Shohei Otani will have missed a significant amount of time. By the time we get to the end of the season, Seager will be playing in the in the thick of a playoff race. If Corey goes off on in, in these next two weeks and the Rangers win the division, I think his case gets stronger. I just don't know. Again, after Otani lost out to Aaron Judge, basically because Aaron Judge made history last year with 62 home runs, I don't know if he's going to be able to overcome what what Otani has set as the mark this year. Um, as far as the rookie of the year goes, I do think that missing 37 games is probably going to cost Josh the rookie of the year. Um, I haven't, somebody had asked me this question last night and I hadn't gone back and looked at Gunnar Henderson from Baltimore's numbers. Um, but I, I just think that the amount of time missed is going to be significant again, Kevin, you know, if, if a guy goes off in the middle of a pennant race and as tight a pennant race as this is over the past seven days, it can swing votes and it can swing people's opinions. So we'll have to say Josh had a big hit in, in the win over Boston on Tuesday night. Um, 
If he can come up with three homers in his final 10 games, he'll finish with 25 for the year. It's been a good season for him. So, Evan, the new Major League Baseball rules have not only shortened games, but it injected a lot more action and energy into the game. Attendance is way up across the league. Uh, do you like what MLB has done here? Yeah, I do. I really do. I mean, it's um, it's funny. Again, I had a conversation. I, I visited a suite last night to do a story on some fans who sit down in those suites that are on TV, and we got into a conversation about games. And one one guy was saying, well – they need to speed up college football too. And I said, I disagree. I, I said, listen, I can take one afternoon a week to spend three and a half hours on a team I'm passionate about or a game I'm passionate about. But baseball, which plays every night, you can't devote three and a half hours, particularly with as many late starts as you have. I do think it's made the game better for fans. I do think it's kept people more interested. I do think it makes it more um, accessible because people don't have to worry about getting home at 11 o'clock at night. There have been some inside the game issues. There have been pitchers who have thought that um, in, in, you know, in some regards, maybe the bullpen issues throughout baseball have had, have played a part in this because pitchers don't have the time in a high leverage situation with runners on base in a tight situation kind of take a breath, step off the mound, gather themselves, and and really think about the pitch they want to execute. Um, but I, I I think that's I, – I don't really agree with that. I think, look, you you, you pick you, – you have conviction. The best relievers have conviction. You get on the mound and you throw your pitch. Um, I think it's good for the fans, and the game is more about the fans and the players um, at the end of the day. Uh, so I, I, I've been a big fan of – uh, and it's hard for me to say this because I think a lot of times Robin Manfred steps on his on his own toes in how he guides the game, um, or at least how he messages forward forwardly. Um, but I think the rules changes that he has gotten through have been, um, by and large, very good for the game. And I, I do, you know, I think the next big thing is the automatic ball strikes that we're probably going to have within a year or two. And at this point in time, based on the technology and based on velocity that pitchers are throwing with and how catchers are framing pitches and and kind of able to create an optical illusion i think it's necessary i don't want to take stuff out of the empire's hands but i think to get calls right it's going to be necessary and we've got the technology now let's the idea is to is to get true answers let's get them so in your 26 uh, years on the beat so much has changed in the media landscape uh, can you give a few examples on how covering the team has changed? Um, so I was uh, I was talking with the, the esteemed John Blake last night at the ballpark, and um, uh, we were talking about the Seattle Rangers scenario playing out. And, and I mentioned to him, you know, John, the last time that you guys were in a race this tight was 98. And I remember when the Rangers clinched that, um, we were in Seattle and – the morning news had three people on site. We had myself, Jerry Fraley, and, and Tim Callishaw all there. Um, and that's not going to happen. Staffs have just shrunk dramatically across the, the country. Uh, you guys have seen the New York Times do away with its sports section. The LA Times kind of change its direction. Um, I, I do think that it, it's a challenge right now. And I think even, even for me, it's a challenge because 
more and more of the landscape is digital and we're trying to optimize a digital audience, but still provide a product for a print audience. And there are print deadlines that interfere with optimizing the digital landscape. And I don't know how well I feel like I serve both audiences at the same time. Um, the resources throughout the business have, have, have diminished greatly. It's it's all unfortunate. I do think that the pluses that maybe get don't get talked about as much is the amount of information that we have and the ability to kind of dive inside um, moments in a game like pitch selection and trends and things like that. I think we can provide more um, astute analysis than we once were able to. Um, those are great tools, but I do think it's been unfortunate to see the landscape kind of shrink the way it has and that's that's the biggest takeaway for me guys is you know i'm the only i'm the outside of mlb.com i'm the only traveling beat writer with the rangers and that just wasn't the case 25 years ago um it, it has changed it has changed greatly and uh um i'm hoping that as newspapers and and digital websites continue to try and and navigate this very narrow uh channel that we're all in we're going to emerge on the other side with a much better um and much uh much more well-rounded land um environment for people to get their sports information and analysis well i have to and i didn't even mention social media my god we're, we're about to go there uh it seems like you've become very in uh, skilled at engaging fans uh I see uh, 91,800 follower, followers on X, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, that's more than anyone uh, at the Dallas Morning News, except I think Tim Callishaw, and he's on ESPN just about every day. Uh, I am horrible at social media. So, Evan, how did you get so so skilled uh, at engaging I, well, fans and getting these followers? I mean, I don't know that I'm skilled. I do think that, look, I was a fairly early adopter on Twitter. Um, and at that point in time, I was trying to make a change to be more digitally conscious. Um, and also at that point in time, uh, the Twitter, the Twitter atmosphere was a little bit different and it did feel more like a community. Uh, and I, that's how I, that's how I viewed it. And I viewed that if I, I feel like if I did anything right there, it was about building loyalty and building, I don't want to call myself a brand, but brand loyalty to, to the, the information that the Dallas Morning News was providing. Um, it used to be a lot easier when you had fewer followers to answer more and more questions. Um, it also used to be a lot easier when there were questions. Now, over the last seven years, it feels like it's more venting than questions <laughs> um, because the Rangers haven't been all that all that successful. Uh, but I've, I've felt like, look, the, the Twitter or X or whatever we want to call it, at least to this point, has been a very it's, it's an opportunity for me to take my stories and put them out to the reader. It's my chance to be the circulation department. I can get those stories out there. So I religiously tweet my stories as soon as I can get them online. Um, if fans have questions, particularly if I'm seeing in my timeline, a number of the same questions, I try to at least answer, you know, that issue. Um, I try, but mostly what I try is look, we're all watching a baseball game. It's a baseball game. We're supposed to have fun. Um, I'm a 58-year-old man. And so my humor is all dad jokes pretty much all the time. 
uh, and I try and let my personality come out. You know, it's it's clear on Twitter that I like barbecue. It's clear on Twitter that I was a big Jimmy Buffett fan. Um, and I, 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 I play to that. And so I think it helps people get to know me in a little bit. And if they know you, they feel like they trust you. Um, and even to the point where, you know, I've fat fingered and typoed a number of times and in games have not been looking at the scoreboard when I type something, typed a wrong score at that moment. And people have given me a whole lot of latitude because I feel like they know me and they understand me and they, they they grasp a little bit about the job. They grasp that that I'm going to be there for them. And listen, as Kevin said, so much has changed in the landscape, and we have so many. The, the, I, it, it feels like an entire generation of sports media people have moved on, have have left the business. And so the few of us that have more institutional knowledge and have some level of loyalty built up i think that is an asset for us and i do think that's one thing that's an asset really still at the dallas morning news because you've got a guy like david moore who's been on the cowboys for so so long you've got brad townsend who's been around the mavericks for so long you've got myself and you've got the two columnists who have spent you know more than 30 years in this market so when it comes to institutional knowledge i do think that the morning news still provides a really good basis for for people I, I would agree with that. And one last point before we close. I know you're a neutral, <clears throat> objective observer. You're a reporter. But as a reader, I also know that you care. And you care about the re your readers and the fans. Was it last year or the year before that you appealed to the morning news to send you to Hickory, North Carolina, and elsewhere to do stories on the prospects? Um, that was 21, I think. It was right Quite after enough. the Joey Gallo trade and... You know, they yeah. had they had some top prospects at Hickory and the team was headed for a 102 loss season and there wasn't much to do on the big league team. And we were able to get somebody out at the ballpark to cover a couple of games while I went to Hickory and I was able to pick up a story on Josh Smith and Ezekiel Duran um, and Zach Kent, who I still think is going to pitch for this club at the big league level. Uh, and I, I again, I think those are things that you know, with 26 years of experience, the morning news trusts some of the pitches that I make. Um, and we still do have some degree of resources or have in the past. Um, and, and those are the things that I think you need to write about what people care about. And at that point in time, people didn't care about the big league team. They wanted to know what the future was going to be. And, and so I wanted to do that. And I, I like to get out this year. We didn't because this team has been so good. And the seat, the, the story has been, the 2023 Texas Rangers all year, but I do like to get out occasionally and go do stories on the minor league system. You know, in 21, we also went and did, we went and spent a weekend with Vanderbilt at Ole Miss ahead of the draft and ended up writing a rocker, rocker lighter story and a lighter story. And both those stories, you know, came out to fruition because both those guys ended up in this organization. So uh, I, I do care about the fans. And I want to say this before I, I, I end Kevin, that, that I'm not a fan, you know, I mean, I, as a reporter, I am not a fan, right. but I do know that what I write for is the Ranger fan base. And I know that that, that they are emotionally invested. And so I try and keep that in mind. I also try and be somewhat the voice of reason on occasion because fan is a fanatic. It's passionate. And I want people to understand what, like this year, 
it's it, it's a, when you're in a race like this, you get every emotion. You're up, you're down, you're high, you're low, you're all over the place. And I try and remind fans, enjoy the ride because it's hard to win. It doesn't happen all the time. And the thrill is the race. Well said. With that, uh, thanks so much for, for your time today, Evan. Always great uh, catching up with you. Love talking baseball with you. On behalf of Monica Paul and the Dallas Sports Commission, thanks to Evan for being our 250th guest. I'm not sure where this ranks in your career accolades, Evan, but congratulations. The certificate is in the mail. Maybe not. Uh, also, thanks to John Blake, the great John Blake. Uh, it's funny having you and John on the same on the same episode of Mike Drop Dallas. We should have had you on together, maybe. Uh, thanks. It, it, we're like a traveling road show at this point. You it, are. It's, it's amazing. Thanks to the Mic Drop production team. Next level, Marcus Carr of Tony Faye PR. Uh, new to the squad, uh, Merrick's Doc Gooden uh, has joined the Mic Drop production team at Tony Faye PR. Glad to have Merrick's on board. Uh, L Alex Gilbert over at the Sports Commission. Of course, our showrunner, Tony Faye, and our, our inspirational leader. Until next time, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>